you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. If you need a breakthrough tonight, the God of the breakthrough is in the house. Come on, if you need a healing tonight, the God of healing is in the house. If you need deliverance tonight, if you need peace tonight, the God that passes, that has peace, that passes all understanding is in the house tonight. Come on, somebody give him glory and praise. Oh, come on, you just worship with this praise team. The music was kicking, the beat was going on, and you praised in. What about now? Why don't you give God praise now? Come on, how many know that it's easy to praise God with the music? It's easy to praise God when everything is just right. The drums are kicking just right. The bass is playing just right. The keyboard's going just right. The praise team's singing just right. It's easy to praise sometimes when all that's going on. But what about when everything is silent? Come on, anybody know what? I, anybody ever had to praise God when He was silent? Anybody had to praise God when you didn't feel like it? Anybody ever had to praise God when you weren't feeling good in your body? You ever had to praise Him when you had a headache? You ever had to praise Him when you faced the toughest circumstances of life? Come on, somebody. You're going through it tonight. And you ought to praise God in your situation. You ought to praise God in the middle of your circumstance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Holy Ghost in this house. If you're here and you're not really sure what you're feeling, I'm going to tell you, you're feeling the Holy Ghost. And if you're here and you are familiar and you just think it was the right song, let me tell you, it's the Holy Ghost that's moving in this place. The praise team did a phenomenal job. The music sounded great. They ushered us into the presence of the Lord. But let me tell you right now, when things begin to happen like they just happened during that song and you feel a little dance in your step, and you feel like you feel like shouting, and you feel like that if they could, if, if we could just stay in this place, that you feel like everything's going to be all right. Let me tell you something. That's the Holy Ghost stepping in on the scene, letting you know that everything's going to be all right. Come on, the Holy Ghost is here, and He's let He sent me here to tell you that everything is going to be okay. 
like what I feel in this place tonight. If you weren't here this morning and you weren't in Lebanon this afternoon, you missed some powerful preaching from Pastor. He did such a marvelous job here this morning and this afternoon in Lebanon. How many are thankful for the preaching of Pastor? Come on, how many are really thankful? see the hours of preparation and the hours of prayer and the tears that are cried late in, in the evening time when he is seeking the face of God for you and your family in this church. One more time, how many are thankful for a pastor that loves you? pressure when you have to preach behind that. I give him honor today. Thankful for him. It's an honor to stand behind this pulpit once again to bring the word of the Lord to you. And I feel strongly in the Holy Ghost that God has a word for somebody. I don't, I'm not really sure tonight how this is going to come, come across, but I'm just going to share with you tonight. Is that okay? I promise you that I'm going to do my best. And I'm going to be mindful of the time, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to make a, a deal with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to preach however long it takes. All right? So if you want to get out early and you want to go to Applebee's, and somebody needs to run the aisles tonight. I'll be like, oh, that, we're here. Let's go. <laughs> Judges chapter 7. We see in, in this chapter that Gideon and the armies of Israel were outnumbered and they were outmatched by the enemy. And outside of a complete and total miracle, there was absolutely no chance for them to be victorious. But Gideon had a word from God and Gideon had a plan. From God. And we read in Judges chapter 7 and verse number 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand. And I'm glad that it says a trumpet because I got to be honest with you, I have a problem with tambourines. So. Every drummer's nightmare. So at least it's a trumpet. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Now, I'll admit to you tonight that this seems like the worst plan in the world. This seems like somebody is rolling over and giving up. They're facing an army. They are way outnumbered. They are so far outmatched, it's not even funny. The weapons that the enemy 
has in their possession are far more deadly than a trumpet, a lamp, and an empty pitcher. Gideon, I'm sure there were those of those 300 men that were wondering, Gideon, are you absolutely sure that you've heard from God? Before I, I, I march to my death with you, and I, I will go wherever you say to go. But before I do, I, I just want to make sure that you really heard what you think you heard. Can you imagine 300 men going into battle with nothing but a trumpet, a pitcher, and a lamp? against a strong enemy. And the Bible even says it like this, against a host of Midianites. The odds were greatly stacked against them. The task seemed too great. The task seemed too small. And it seemed like the fight was just too much. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you were against, standing against an enemy that was just too great? You felt like you were facing a situation that was just a little too tough. Or how about like this? Have you ever stood before a mountain that just seemed a little too tall? We want to have faith in God. To believe, but what we're seeing and what we know in our minds seems a little too tough. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about tonight. And I've come to preach to you on this subject, the breaking point. The breaking point. Would you put your Bibles down? Would somebody lift your hands to heaven right now and... I wish I had somebody that would just lift your voice right now and let the Lord know, God, you are the God of the breakthrough. You are the God that heals. You are the God that delivers. You are the God that when you say, stand up and fight, and I will fight for you, and I will fight with you, you are a God of your word and a God of your promise. When you said, I will fight your battles for you, God, you knew exactly what you were talking about. And you mean exactly what you said in your word. God, and tonight we stand upon that word. And we stand upon that promise. When you said that we would be victorious. And that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And that no enemy will overtake us. God, and we believe you tonight. God, I ask that you'd anoint your messenger to preach what you would have your people to hear. God, let your word go forth and accomplish that for which you have sent it tonight. And we'll give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. And everyone shout amen. And as you're seated, clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Amen.
Has anybody besides me ever felt like you're at your breaking point? That at any moment that a happening or a circumstance or a phone call or a piece of mail that would come in your mailbox would just send you over the edge. Has anybody in this building ever felt like me sometimes that you just couldn't take anymore? You couldn't take one more bad day. You couldn't take any more phone calls like the phone call that you received. Here's what I want to tell you tonight. That spiritual warfare is not a metaphor. Spiritual warfare is not something that we just talk about, that we throw in a sermon somewhere. It's not something that we talk about in a service as as pastor or someone else is behind this pulpit and we talk about that we've got to fight things in the spirit. It's not a fairy tale and it is not a metaphor. In fact, I feel like it would be more accurate to say that human warfare is more of a metaphor, an expression of an even more real spiritual war that is raging all around us. If you don't believe it, turn on the news. If you don't, if you don't believe that there is a war in the spirit, then pick up a newspaper if anybody does that any longer. And it won't take you too long to to match up what is going on in this world to this book and the things that God, that God talked about would happen in the last days. It would not take you long to realize that those things are happening right now. And what I want to tell you tonight is that unless we engage spiritual warfare seriously. Unless we are not haphazard about how we approach the enemy that has come to kill, to steal, and destroy, if we don't engage him in a very serious way, we will most likely be overcome by the enemy. You and I must understand something, that the enemy is in no way, shape, or form impressed by your intellect or your ability. He is not impressed by your talent. He's not impressed by how well you can play an instrument. He's not impressed by how well you can sing when it's your solo. He's not impressed tonight that you have come into this house and you have sat through this service. He's not impressed that you know when to clap your hands. He's not impressed that you know when to say amen. He's not impressed by your dance. He's not impressed by how well you run the aisles, but he is impressed by the strength of God and the weapons of God that he provides us to fight this spiritual battle. These weapons that God has equipped us with have divine powers 
to not only destroy the enemy and to not only overcome this enemy, but he has given us weapons that have the power to cause us to stand firm in this evil day in which we live. You see, it's God's desire that every child of God stands our ground and that we don't give one single inch to the enemy. But more than that, God wants us to not only give ground, but God wants us to take back the ground that the enemy has already stolen from us. Because that which he holds in his possession does not belong to him. Every one of us tonight fight our own enemies. Every one of us tonight have issues and struggles that we face that we all have to overcome. What I want you to know tonight is that your struggle may not be my struggle. And what you deal with and what is an issue to you may not be an issue to me. But that does not discount. And that does not diminish what you struggle with. That does in no way diminish or discount what I have to struggle with. Every person alive in this building and in this world fights their own enemies. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes these foes, these enemies, in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But understand tonight, this is not meant to scare us away from the fight. But I want you to know that within you, you possess a superior power. You have better weapons at your disposal than the enemy could ever imagine. Even so, with that knowledge and knowing those things and knowing the Word of God, we cannot afford to underestimate the enemy. We talk about, we talk about the enemy. I used to teach my kids when they were young. I used to tell them about the devil. I said, you know what? The devil's nothing but a punk sissy. And they would say, Dad, the devil's a punk sissy. Yes, he is. And we would laugh about it, and we laugh about it tonight. The truth of the matter is that against our flesh, the enemy is more powerful than us. In our flesh, when we try to fight him in the flesh, 
When we try to stand against Him on our own and we put two feet on the ground and we tell God, don't worry about it, I got this one, and we face that enemy, He will quickly overcome us. We must not underestimate the power of the enemy, but there is something that you need to know tonight. When God is on your side and when you are full of the Holy Ghost, there isn't a devil in hell. There isn't an enemy that can overcome your child of God. Hear me. Hear me tonight. When I say we will confront some things that are beyond our flesh. Enemies who are more powerful than we thought. Enemies who are more cunning than we ever gave them credit for, who will attack us in ways that we didn't expect. Enemies who will do everything they can to confuse us about what is real, all the while trying to destroy us along with everything that we cherish and hold dear. I want to speak to every parent in this place tonight. Don't Don't discount the fact that the enemy would love nothing more than to steal your children. Don't discount the fact that when they go into school every day, the devil licks his chops thinking that maybe today may be the day you ought to pray for your children every morning on the way to school when they walk in those doors and say, God, build a hedge of protection around about them. God, protect them from the enemy that would love nothing more. our children from us. But I've come today, tonight, maybe in a little different fashion, but I've come to arm us with some ways that we can defeat the enemies in our life. Because the truth is, you may not be fighting today. You may not be under it today, but it just may be tomorrow. Everything may be going good today, but tomorrow may hold a different story for you altogether. You may be good sitting in this building today, but you don't know what's going to happen when we leave this place. It may be good today when you lay down on your pillow tonight to go to sleep, but it may be that phone call at 1, 2, or 3 o'clock in the morning. It may be it may be that bad report that may come tomorrow, and all of a sudden you'll find yourself in the middle of the fight for your life. And unless you are equipped for it, unless you are ready to face it head on, unless you are full of the Holy Ghost, then there is nothing that you can do but hear this preacher tonight, as long as you keep God on your side, as long as you let God fight for you, everything is going to be okay. The first step to defeating your enemy is to name your enemy. 
Because when we're fighting, when there's an issue, we've got to first identify the problem. You've got to know who you are fighting. There's not a warrior on a battlefield anywhere that goes into the fight blindly. There's not a warrior anywhere that steps onto a battlefield and say, well, I don't, I'm not really sure who the enemy is, is but we're just going to walk a little bit and see if he shows himself. No, they know exactly who they are fighting. They've already identified the enemy. They've already identified their problem. If you cannot name your enemy, and if you cannot identify your enemy, then my question to you is how in the world will you ever defeat it? He may disguise himself as fear. He may disguise himself as doubt. He may disguise himself as unbelief. Come on, somebody knows what I'm talking about tonight. He may very well disguise himself as depression. He may disguise himself as oppression. Or here's a big one for you. He may very well disguise himself as feelings of inadequacy. But don't be fooled. These are the tricks and the attacks of the enemy, your adversary. He will disguise himself as anything he can in order to get close to you. But I'm here to serve him notice. We are going to name him tonight. Before we leave this place, we are going to identify him tonight. And before we leave this house, we are going to overcome him tonight. Now, this is not everybody, but in general, we don't like confrontation. I know some who do. I know some who really do. But in general, most of us in this place, we don't really care for confrontation. For the most part, in the natural sense of the word, there are those who thrive on it. But I'm referring to this not in the spiritual sense, but I am referring to this in, or in the natural sense, but I'm referring to this in the spiritual sense. Because when it comes to dealing with something eternal or internal, we tend to push it to the back of our minds and hope that it will just eventually go away. You see, that's how a lot of us have fought battles over the years. Just ignoring it, hoping that tomorrow would be the dawn of a new day. And somehow, with the rising of the sun, the attacks would just subside. Everybody with me tonight? Stay with me. But we, we, we thank, we hope, we pray that things would just get better tomorrow because really at the core, we don't want to fight any longer. We, we don't want to deal with the problem any longer. So we just 
kind of push it to the back burner in the back corner of our mind, hoping that it will eventually just go away. But we must understand and realize that our enemy is cunning. And our enemy is dangerous. He walks around searching for what he can use to destroy us with. Listen to me. He will try to, to wrap himself in a different form. He will try his best to infiltrate through just a, a small thing that we may allow into our home. It might be a small thing that we, we think, oh, well, that's, that's cute. It, it, won't, it won't bother us. It won't really hurt anything. But before you know it, that enemy that has disguised itself as something small and something cute, now, here, two weeks, two years, two, 20 years later, has grown and morphed and begin to show himself for what he really is. Because if he can just get into your home, if he can just infiltrate your family, if he can just get into the far recesses of your mind, then he knows that if I can just get in there, if I can just get behind the enemy line, then I can have my way. I can have my run of the place, but we're going to serve the enemy notice tonight that we are going to cut him off at the knees. We're not going to let him in. We've identified him. We know what he's trying to do, and we we will defeat him. But we have to step back and identify who we are fighting. We have to understand the traps that he's trying to lay in our lives. The evidence that a soldier is serious and recognizes the strength of his enemy is seen in how he names his enemy. It is seen in how he arms and prepares himself for the battle. That is why when Paul launches into the most famous spiritual warfare scripture that perhaps we find in the Bible, the first thing that he says is, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, because like any other war, there is no defending our spiritual enemy if we don't have the right equipment. If we don't have the right tools, we don't have the right weapons. Wars waged carelessly are wars that are lost. Understand tonight, I feel, I don't know why, but I feel to talk to the parents again in this place that wars waged Carelessly are wars that are lost. Let, let, me, let, me, let me say it like this. Wars that are waged against your family. Wars that are waged against your children. Although it may look innocent. Although we want them to be popular. Although we want them to have this 
in that. When we take it carelessly, before you know it, that war that we said, oh, it's nothing big. It's just, a little, it's just missing here and missing there. Before long, when we take it carelessly, we'll find ourselves having fought a war that we have lost. disguise himself. Protective armor and offensive offensive weapons really do matter. I know this is different tonight, but hang on with me, would you please? I'm speaking, if speaking of these things make us tremble, and cause us to think, and cause us to question, then that's good. That's what I want tonight. Because we take it so often so haphazardly. We're very flippant about it. We, we just kind of want to ignore it. But I've come tonight to preach to all of us in this place. I've Come to stir us in this house tonight to make us realize that there really is an enemy. To make us realize and understand that that enemy would love nothing more than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He would love nothing more than you to walk out of this place tonight and just turn your back on everything that you just worshipped about and everything that we have heard in this place. He would love nothing more than for you to be angry with your brother or with your sister. He would love nothing more than you just to take it and let it go in one ear and out the other but I would to God that somebody tonight would hear this preacher and you would understand what I'm talking to you about tonight and let you know that there is a war and if we are ever going to defeat this enemy we are going to have to engage in this battle we're going to have to put on the whole armor of God just to know that we really do need to arm ourselves and protect ourselves with the armor of God. God wants us to know that our armor and our weapons make the enemy tremble. They are, the enemy is scared to death of God and nothing is more dangerous to our enemy than the power of a spirit-filled child of God who wears his armor and he wields his weapon. And can I pause here for just a moment and let you know, just like we sung about tonight, there is one of the greatest weapons in our arsenal is our praise. 
Come on, one of the most dangerous weapons to the enemy is your prayer. You want to send the enemy running? You want to send the enemy on retreat? Then you just begin to praise God. You want to cause the enemy to be confounded and be confused? Then you need to praise God. doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter what it looks like, but you begin to praise God. It may seem like certain defeat, but when you praise God, God, I wish somebody would stand to your feet right now and you would just begin to exercise, begin to wield that weapon and somebody begin to lift your voice and praise God in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of what you're facing, begin to give God praise. Come on, that's it. Somebody praise him a little bit longer. Somebody praise him a little more fervently. Because it is the greatest weapon in your arsenal. Nothing makes your enemy flee like when you begin to praise. Nothing makes your enemy more terrified than when you begin to praise God in the midst of your struggle. He praised God in the midst of your battle and praise God in the midst of trouble. You have to name your enemy. It is said that in most rehabilitation programs, the first step is to admit that you have a problem. We tend Though as humans, we tend to see this as weakness. But however, when we admit we have an issue, we actually become stronger. Our admission of a battle builds a strong front against our weakness. You see, we don't like to admit that we deal with depression. We don't like to admit that we are struggling with the issues in our lives. We don't like to admit that we've been holding on to hurts. We don't like to admit that we have weaknesses. But the truth of the matter is we all do. Yet, when we speak these things, the power of our words begin to bring us strength, and we find ourselves gathering courage to stand up to our problems and say, I will not be overcome by your lies anymore, but I will stand firm in the fact that God is greater than my weakness. My God is greater than my struggles. My God is greater than my issues. The second thing I want to arm us with tonight is to is simply this the answer is greater than the problem. Trusting only in our own strength, we will find ourselves cowering in fear, deceived by the enemy's tactics. Or even flee in the battle altogether and assume defeat. But Paul admonishes us when he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We can look 
at our enemy without fear and be confident in a God who has never been defeated. He has never lost a battle. That's why when those words says that he will fight for you, you don't have to worry and you don't have to fret and you don't have to wonder if he can do it. He has never been defeated. He has never lost a battle. and 4 says it like this, you are of God little children and have overcome them because greater, everybody say greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are the children of God. He is the God of the entire universe. He is the God of all creation. He is God over your problem. There is nothing. I want somebody to know tonight, there is nothing that he can't handle. There is nothing that he cannot do. There is no sickness that he cannot heal. There is no addiction that he can't break. There is no depression that he can overcome. So why worry about it when God is on your side? Just rest in the fact that God has got this. When it comes up in your mind, just say, God has got this. We know, we know, we know, we know he can. We just have to believe that he will. Our faith does not stop with God can, but we must continue with knowing that God will because the answer is greater than the problem. So you have to name your enemies. You have to know who you are fighting. You've got to recognize that your answer is greater than the problem that you're going through. And thirdly, you have to walk in defiance. For most of us, being defiant is not too hard. For most of us, being defiant is who we are. We see it as often a negative thing. I don't want to focus on the negative tonight. We see it as a negative meaning. We tell our children to do something or to not do something, and they look at us in the eye and do exactly what you told them not to do. Don't you say that again. Oh, you mean, yes, don't say that again. They do it. They look us in the eye. They do the opposite because they want to under. They want to see what we're going to do about it. That's the defiance that we know and that we relate to. We usually associate defiance with negativity, but in this case, defiance comes with a strength to stand up to what is plaguing you. When you are a child of God, and when We stand against the enemy with his strength and his power. We are not going to put up with the stress 
that the enemy keeps throwing at us. We're not going to believe his lies any longer. When we put our trust in him, he, we're not going to believe the enemy when he tells you that you can't afford to give that much. Or who do you think you are? You will never be enough. Your heart can't handle any more hurt. You'll always deal with that addiction. You're always going to be truth of the matter is, for many of us in this place, we've dealt with some of those very things. We've carried it around with us. We've been familiar with it. And the enemy has tried to convince all of us, it's always going to be like this. It's always going to be like this. You're always going to be depressed. You're always going to live in oppression. You're always going to be an addict. You're always going to struggle with that. It's going to be your nature to always want to go back to that. The enemy has tried to speak into the mind of every person in this place. But hear me, what he is speaking to you against about, he may not be speaking to me about, but the truth of the matter is it's very real. And he really is in our ear day in and day out because we all struggle. Maybe fear. I, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. For some, it may be the depression that causes you to wake up in the morning. You want to just throw the covers back over your head and stay there and say, I can't, I can't do it another day. I can't take it another day. Maybe, maybe for some, it may be an addiction that has you so bound. That you thought you overcome at one point, but now you find yourself dealing with the very same thing again. And an enemy in your ear telling you, I told you you were always going to be that. I told you that you are always going to struggle. I told you that you would never be able to overcome that. But I wish somebody would stand in the face of the enemy tonight. Maybe you've taken it day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out, and you just you just gave in to the fact that it was always going to be that way. But I wish somebody would understand who you are and who's on your side and stand up once and for all today and say, that's not what this word says. I will not be bound. I will not be addicted. I will not struggle. Why do we settle for less when the King of kings and the Lord of lords is our Father? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do absolutely anything. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to look the enemy in the face and start declaring the word of the Lord. Tell him that no weapon formed against me will prosper. So, consider our text tonight. I'm quickly drawn to a close. The people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. So God 
put them under the dominion of their enemy, Midian, for seven years. Midian overpowered Israel. Because of Midian, the people, the children of Israel, hid in caves, the Bible tells us, in the mountains. When Israel planted their crops, Midian and Amalek would invade them and camp in their fields and destroy all of their crops that they worked so hard to plant. They left nothing for them to live on. They killed their sheep. They killed their oxen. They killed their cattle. They took, they destroyed everything. Bringing their cattle in tents, they come and they took over the land and their camels, the Bible says, were too many to count. They marched in and they devastated the country. And as we do, many times when we are left with no options and we're down to our last resort, the people of Israel begin finally to cry out to the Lord for help. I don't know why that sometimes it takes us hitting rock bottom I don't understand why sometimes it takes us getting as low as we can get before we ever reach our breaking point and we cry out to the Lord for help. Why, Pastor, why is that? Why, why do we do that? Why is it our nature for the newcomer, to make God our last resort when he should be our first. Why is it only after the enemy comes in and destroys everything and takes everything and robs us of everything, robs us of our joy, robs us of our peace, robs us, some of us, of our children before we ever cry out to God for help. Brother Duggar, I don't, I don't understand why we do that. But the truth of the matter is, is that all too often that's exactly what we do. And as much as that weighs on us, can I, can I tell you that God isn't really concerned about that at all? Often we feel guilty because we come to God only when we reached our breaking point. We come to God only when we have no other recourse and we're ready just to throw in the towel. Say, I'm done. We say, I'm sorry. 
God, I'm sorry. I'm really not, really not worthy for you to step in. I'm not really deserving of your help. So I'm not even going to ask. What parent in this house tonight, if your children came to you and they made a mess of things, they come and said, Mom, Dad, I'm really sorry. I didn't really want you to know about it. I tried, I tried to fix it. I tried to make it right. But the truth of the matter is I made a mess of it. And I didn't want to ask you for help. Because really, I, I don't deserve your help. What, sh- what parent in this place would not drop everything? Say, why didn't you tell me? Why? Why didn't you come to me? Why would you not ask me for help? So God looks at us. He says, why? Why would you not ask me for help? Why would you not trust me? Have I not proven myself to you? Have I ever lost a battle? Have I ever... Have you ever read anywhere in my word where I've been defeated? Have you you ever read anywhere in my word that says I would like, I would let my children go on for want? Have you ever read anywhere in my word that any of my children have ever had to beg for bread? Why? would you not come to me? Can I tell you that those feelings of unworthiness, those feelings of shame are real? But do you understand that none of us are worthy? Do you understand there's not a person that's sitting in this building tonight that deserves the help of the Lord? Do you understand that there is not a person in this building that deserves to be filled with the Holy Ghost? You understand there is not a person under the sound of my voice that deserves the blessings of the Lord? Do you understand that none of us deserve to be here tonight? But it's only by the grace of God. It's only by the mercy of God. Any of us are here. Because if we got what we deserve, Pastor, if I got what I deserve, Dad, if we got what we deserve for the newcomer, we got what we deserve. There would be no hope for any of us. Oh, we can, we can put the suit on. Tie the tie just right.
walk in with a bat and our head held high, strut into this place like we have got it going on. But the truth of the matter is that is nothing but a front because none of us have got it all together. But I've come tonight to preach to somebody that is at their breaking point. And I've come to tell you that if you are at that rock bottom place, if you are at that breaking point, I want you to know that God is here with open arms to receive you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed God. It doesn't matter that you've turned your back on God. It doesn't matter that you thought about walking away every day for the past year. God doesn't really care. God is in this house, and he's here with open arms. And he's ready to receive you in closing tonight. So they're at their breaking point, and God sends a prophet to the children of Israel. Judges chapter 6, verse number 8. That the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. I did that. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in those in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. He said, I have done all this for you, but you, not, you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak which was in Orpha, that pertain unto Joash. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the whispering winepress and hid it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Verse 13, And Gideon said unto him, O oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? You ever been there? If you really are with me, then why has all of this happened to us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Do not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord hath forsaken us. And delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, Gideon's faith was literally at the breaking point. He is so low that he tests God 
three times. And God proved to him over and over again that he would be with him in the battle. And you know the story. And I'm going to quickly go through it to get where I want to end this message tonight. Gideon's faith is tested. His army of 32,000, which is already outnumbered by the Midianites by at least 100,000, that 32,000 is reduced to 10,000. And the 10,000 is reduced to 300. Outnumbered, outmatched, in need of a miracle, and at their breaking point. And so we get to our text, Judges 7, 16, and he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with an empty pitcher and a lamp within the pitchers. And they came, the Bible says, and they broke the pitchers. They held up their lit torches and their lamps and they blew their trumpets. And the Bible tells us that a great confusion happened among the Midianites. And they began to be so confused that they killed one another. The Israelites didn't have to kill them because they killed each other. And a great victory was had by Israel. It was literally a victory that no one could stand back and say, that could say anything other than God provided that victory. God had the glory all by Himself. But what a strange choice of weapons that God used to defeat the Midianites. A trumpet, a great noise caused them to sound bigger than they actually were. The torches, they put them inside the pitchers, and when they broke the pitchers, the torches became like a flash of lightning throughout the enemy's camp. But my question in closing tonight, as you stand with me, but why the pitchers? Why? 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 Scotty, why? Why the pitchers? In that day, in our text, when preparing to go to battle, It was the custom of the king to write the name of his enemy on a piece of pottery. And then they would smash that pottery to symbolize the defeat of their army. I I don't know. Maybe the Israelites had written the name of the Midianites on their pictures. Some scholars believe that the Israelites actually smashed their pictures together, which would cause a great clash and would be a, a sign of things to come. How the Midianites would begin to fight and kill one another and destroy each other in the process. But can you imagine what kind of faith this would be to the Israelites as they go into battle? And at once, the Bible says that Gideon 
gave the order to smash their pitchers. And as you do, he said, I want you to view your enemy as being crushed and destroyed. I come to tell you tonight, you have to name your enemy. Fear. You got to name your enemy. Sickness. Failure. Here's a good one. Anxiety. Oh, that one's familiar. Depression. You see, you've got a name who your enemy is. You got to put a name to what you struggle with. You got to know who your enemy is and you have to know that your answer is greater than your problem. And then you have to walk in defiance that my God is greater and my God is more powerful and there is nothing that he cannot solve. I have no idea what it is that you struggle with, but if it's fear, it's time to break it tonight. If it's sickness, it's time to break it tonight. If it's a past failure, you go ahead and break it tonight. If it's anxiety that keeps you up every day, then you got to break it. If it's depression, you got to serve the enemy notice that no longer will I be bound with it, but I am breaking it once and for all tonight. I'm here to preach to you that whatever it is that you're struggling with, you need to break it tonight. It is up to you. You've got to name it. You've got to decree it, and you've got to to break it. I have no idea what it looks like for you. If it's fear, then break it once and for all. I don't know what you're facing, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Someone can smash some things in the spirit tonight if you will just step out from where you are and you just ride it on the heart of your heart and you bring it down to this altar and you give it to God and say, God, I can't do it anymore. But God, I'm breaking it tonight. God, I'm putting it into it tonight. I will no longer struggle, but I will be free. Jesus, you change Somebody get real about it tonight. Somebody identify. Somebody get sick and tired of the enemy telling you that you're always going to struggle with that sickness. You don't have to struggle with it any longer. You don't have to struggle with the depression, the anxiety, the fear. But it can be broken tonight.
Of God, you look the enemy in the face and say, I will not deal with fear any longer. 